All right, so we're back here on a, another five-part series, our third episode in the Power Five College Football Recap. Today, we're going to be talking about the Atlantic Coast Conference, part of my bias, but tonight <laughs> is the night for some ACC football recaps. And I got my guy, Zach, from the Blue Bloods Podcast. What's going on, Zach? Not too much, man. Looking forward to talking some ACC with you. I know you're probably even more excited than me. <laughs> Hey, you know, it, it is what it is. And like, like I mentioned earlier, part of my bias. But, yeah, this is a uh, probably one of the best conferences, and you know, as far as that's concerned. So, who is the MVP in this conference for you? Ah, oh, man. You see, I kind of cheated here because I feel like offensively you had to talk about two guys. They play for the same team. They wear that same Tar Heel blue that you have on right now. <laughs> I had to go. I know Trevor Lawrence. Everyone's going to pick him because of name recognition, what he did at the quarterback spot, just giving him almost like a lifetime achievement award. In terms of ACC offensive MVP, I think Javante Williams and Michael Carter by far were the two deserving people on offense. And if I had to pick one on our podcast, Brandon made me pick, I went with Javante Williams just because of the touchdowns. I know Michael Carter had him in yards, but Javante Williams was just so explosive throughout the entire season. I don't think there was a more impressive running back duo in the country, man. I mean, they were dynamic. They were they complemented each other so well with Michael Carter being the more inside physical type guy and Williams being outside explosive big run hitter. Williams, in my opinion, like I said, should have been the MVP. He was sixth in the country in rushing yards, third in the conference with over 1,100. He was third in the entire country in rushing touchdowns, led the conference with, tw- with 19 led the conference again with 22 total touchdowns, including his receiving ones. And he averaged over 7.3 yards per carry for the entire season. I mean, this is a guy who played 12, 13 games. Every time he touched the ball, he was getting seven yards a carry. That doesn't make any sense. That was third in the conference. And the sad part is he's behind his teammate, Michael Carter, who led the conference in yards per carry with eight. It's like eight yards per carry and 7.3 for your two running backs are unstoppable. As an Auburn fan, it gives me vibes of Cadillac and Ronnie Brown back in 04 for the Auburn Tigers. You you think of Reggie Bush and uh, his name's escaping me, Lindell White. White yeah. yeah, for <laughs> USC. Like it's the same, it's right out of those books. I think US, UNC has some slip ups in terms of defense at times, which kind of cost these guys the big stage. We saw them get to fifth in the country. I would have loved to see these guys on a playoff stage or something like that. But I mean, Michael Carter, like I said, fifth in the country, man, in yards per carry, seventh in the conference with rushing touchdowns, first in the conference in rushing yards, fourth in the country with over 1,200. I think, man, I know this is going to be great for you. I know they'll go down in history for you. But even as a college football, you know, someone who covers it, I think you got to put them down as one of the best one-two punches up there with those two duos we just talked about. Yeah, they didn't win a national championship like Reggie Bush and Lindell White. They didn't go undefeated like Cadillac and Ronnie Brown did with Auburn. But I think they – they did enough on the field. I mean, if I'm a UNC fan, I I hope I recorded that UNC uh, that UNC Miami game because I don't think I and I don't think there was a better performance in the yeah. history of running backs except unless you go back to like the 1940s and 50s where they didn't pass. Michael Carter, 308 yards, two touchdowns in that game. 
Javante Williams, 236 and three touchdowns all on the ground. They both averaged over 10 yards per carry. I think both guys are going to make an impact at the next level. And, I mean, you can kind of speak on this too. I mean, Javante Williams is getting talk as a top 20 pick, second running back in the draft. I mean, you've watched this guy a lot more than me, so I'd like to hear your thoughts on it too. But, I mean, I think these two guys, no one improved their draft stock more than Carter and Williams. A big time, yeah. Like you said, Javante Williams, he was a guy. And it's funny, when we look at ACC running backs, Everybody, like you said, almost like the lifetime achievement. Like you look at, you talk about Trevor Lawrence. Then you look at Travis Etienne, and and it's funny how like he was getting so much love. And I think Travis Etienne only had what like nine, eight hundred some yards rushing. Yeah, he had a he had a horrible season. (laughs) Yeah, I mean compared to you know what we had in the past, and like you said, this was they was. And like Javante Williams, when you think about in September, was he on draft boards? Like talk about it. Mm-hmm. Not like he is now. Where I, and this, and matter of fact, I know a guy that um that scouting running backs um for the draft, and he was like, yeah, you know, Javante's stock has risen. Mm-hmm. Like like you like you mentioned um <clears throat> like you mentioned earlier, where essentially he's a he's a first round pick. Like he can he's going to be somebody's quote unquote potentially franchise running back easily. And and yeah. and I think um. If I'm not mistaken, Michael Carter got invited to the Senior Bowl this year. Yeah, yeah, so he's down he in. Chance. Uh, yeah, he's down in our hometown. Me and Brandon are both from Mobile, so we're covering yeah. that virtually. Um, I think Michael Carter Saturday, guys, at 1:30. That's someone you have to look for. He did get an unlucky break, man. He got put on a team with Khalil Herbert, Najee Harris. He got put on the team with all the good running backs, so they didn't give him a good break there. But in terms of defensive MVPs, I stuck with the theme with duos. I know everyone's expecting expecting me to go Jeremiah Owusu out of Notre Dame, who won the Defensive Player of the Year. I really was more impressed with Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones II out of Pitt. Both defensive ends, they I think they were by far the best dynamic duo on the defensive side of the ball. And for a Pitt, uh, knowing we had a guy on our podcast named Nick who's a big Pitt guy, Pitt, Pitt insider, he – he said he was telling us the defense really won them all the games they played this year. The offense was atrocious, especially after Kenny Pickett went down with injury. Weaver was a consensus All-American this year, man. Ninth in the country in tackles for loss. He had seven and a half sacks. He was eighth in the country with forced fumbles. And then Patrick Jones even had more sacks than him, had more tackles for loss. They dominated a lot of the games they played in. And I think if that offense would have came along, they could have given these guys a chance to really play on the biggest stage and prove this worth. Um, Rashad Weaver's down in Mobile with Michael Carter for the Senior Bowl. And I think he could be a pick for MVP, just kind of like we saw last year with Bradley Anae from Utah in the Senior Bowl, really make a name. And now then he got drafted by the Cowboys because of that performance. So I think Rashad Weaver's kind of that. And both of these guys are getting potential first-round looks. So I think the combination of Weaver and Jones really needed to be mentioned here in terms of defensive MVPs. Yeah, and like you said, the Senior Bowl is it's a, it's a critical bowl. Like, you know, as far as like – and as far as you know, the, the draft stocks and what have you, like this is, and then I think it's cool like to have Matt Rule as one, you know, and his coaching staff there to kind of help those guys as well. So mm-hmm. it's going to be and, definitely, yeah. And you got Flores down there coaching the other team from the <laughs> yeah. Dolphins, who is one of the best young coaches. And I, we talked about it on our podcast a little bit. The cancellation of the combine 
has made the senior bowl almost essential for some of these um younger guys. I mean, we were looking at the roster the other night. There's a kid from Wisconsin Whitewater. I don't know what school that is or anything, but how valuable is the senior bowl for a kid like that who who won't have a combine this year? And I promise you not many scouts are watching Wisconsin Whitewater film and he's an offensive lineman and he gets to go against these Alabama guys, these these Notre Dame guys, these Georgia guys. He gets to prove himself against the best of the best. And we've seen it year in and year out, man. Joe Flacco went down there from Delaware. And I remember being at that game because I was uh, I was younger. We went to the game with my parents and he showed out and look where Joe Flacco is now, Super yeah. Bowl champion. So you never know. And so I think it's invaluable to those smaller school kids. Big time, like you said, the combine, which that's another thing where there's no combine, there's no official results and what have you. So this is going to be a situation where this is where most people are going to have their eyes. And then, because I'm not sure, so are they going to do, um, so are they going to do like uh, pro days in colleges? Yeah, they're still still doing that, right? Yeah, they're still doing pro days and they're having some sort of, I'm not sure how exactly it's going to work. They're doing like a virtual combine which I'm assuming will be just like a pro day, but it's mostly, I think, just for interviews because teams want to get to know some of these players personally and put them through that same rigor. But I still don't think it's going to have the same effect over like Zoom or whatever you know software they use. I think, I think it's going to hurt players more so than help them. And the thing I'm wondering is we can have a thing like the Senior Bowl where they all come down here and play a real game. Why couldn't we implant? Why couldn't we implement? the same type of COVID policies in Indianapolis and have these players come up and work out and interview with teams, but just implement these COVID policies. I don't, I don't see how they're taking like an extra step as like a safety precaution when they're all down in mobile right now doing the same thing they would at the NFL combine. Yeah. Cause when you think about it and with the, with the combine, you essentially, there's no downtime. Mm-mm. So essentially you're not going to be able to do anything because, I mean, between doing, you know, your position groups, interviews, and talking with um, team personnel, you got a full day. Yeah. And the thing I'm wondering is, if even if you wanted to, like, because the combine usually lasts about a week and a half or so already. But if you wanted to stagger the positions out even further, started a little bit earlier, have quarterbacks come for, like, three days, take a break, have running backs come, then wide receivers and O-line right. You could, you could, I guess, reduce the traffic in and out of Indianapolis, or just change up the times you do stuff, or where to, ha- or expand it. There's got to be more indoor facilities in Indianapolis, I would imagine. Yeah. You could practice that. So, I really think you're going to see some people, I guess, this year be undrafted free agents and or fifth, sixth, seventh round picks that are going to turn out to be gems just because they didn't have that chance to shine at the combine. Yeah, and like you said, because we think about now, they get ready to host. They're going to be hosting a sixty-eight team tournament in two months. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you could just scatter everybody out. Like you saying, you can scatter them out, put the quarterbacks and running backs in or what position groups, put them in one little area in town, and then vice versa. And I, and I only had them there for a weekend. Yep, you know. So I, like I, you said, I think they kind of over, like they jumped the gun on that one. And 
Uh, I don't I don't think they understood how valuable the combine can be for people because I mean, you know, being a I'm being a fan of you know the Redskins and being a bigger NFL guy than I am, I mean, I'm sure you could name countless players that would not have been drafted where they were without the combine. You look at someone like John Ross who set the world yes. on fire at the 40. There's no way he's a top 10 pick without the combine. Not even he might not even be a first round pick. Yeah, he you're right. He was a weekend warrior. Now we can tell. Even you know exactly <laughs> right. And like all of it. I mean, you look at like guys like Chris Johnson out of ECU. Um, yeah, um, CJ Two K back in the day, and right. he was another guy. Uh, you know, ECU guy out of nowhere. Even you know, uh, um, Vernon Davis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Vernon Davis. How he had a good forty. And that propelled him to be, you know, one that, you know, draft very high. And like you said, it's just those little type of intangibles, like the weekend warrior thing, we're not going to have it anymore. So it's really going to be more so just now, I think it's going to be more like a character evaluation more so than the actual mm-hmm. player evaluation, what we, you know, grew, grew accustomed to. Right. And I mean, if you look at even last year, Tristan Wirfs, who looks like he's going to turn out to be a very good player anyway, he probably doesn't go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers without the combine. I mean, he killed the 40, killed, I mean, he killed everything really. I mean, the kid's a hyper athlete for being 300 something pounds and he can jump out the gym. I don't know. And his knees got to be upset at him about that. That's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, you look at players like Kadarius Tony uh, from Florida, you look at players like Anthony Schwartz from Auburn, so speed, like kind of like agility athlete type guys who run a lot of track, they're going to be killed by this because. NFL teams aren't putting stock into 40-yard dashes at pro days. That's the reason all these guys get invited to the combine so they can be more accurate with these times because they know the schools hyperinflate the numbers to try to get more people drafted. Yep. So I just think it's I think it's going to hurt a lot more people than it helps, and I would really like the NFL to change their decision, but knowing them, they probably are not going to do that. Not at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> so – who was the who was the biggest surprise in the Atlantic Coast Conference? Uh man, I, I think there's only one, and I, I think it's the Miami Hurricanes. And I know that sounds crazy coming, you know, coming for me now after the season, but I don't think anyone expected Miami to be a top ten team this year, like they were. I mean, it, I know that Clemson game was brutal, man, but Clemson at that point was playing lights out football, and that Miami team is still rebuilding. But to rip off some of the wins they had this year and be a consistent borderline top 10 team, they they set at 14 to like eight for like probably six, seven weeks of the season there. And so I was really, really impressed with Miami because I had a lot of questions coming in about De'Aaron King, man. I know he, I know he's hyper athletic. I know he's a leader, all that stuff. But in Houston's biggest games, he always seemed to shrink. So I had a lot of questions. Can he lead them throughout the season? And he did. He showed he can win close games. You look at that game in Blacksburg versus Virginia Tech. They came back from a 14-point deficit to get that one-point win, 25-24, in the middle of the season. You saw – I know Florida State is garbage. I will get to that later. But a 52-10 to 10 win over Florida State week three game day, first primetime game – he put on a show 47 points on Louisville, who at that point was the first top 25 matchup of the entire season. He wins a shootout against NC State 44 41. 
this dude won every stop of the way throughout the season. And outside of the two blemishes, which was the UNC game, which that was a late season game where UNC arguably played their best game of the Mac Jones era or not Matt Jones, uh, Matt, Matt Brown era. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into that in terms of the whole season. And then you lose to Clemson on the road. Let's just go ahead and chalk that up to Clemson being the better team. But I thought Manny Diaz, De'Aaron King, and, and those boys to lose Gregory Rousseau, a potential top five pick on the D line still have one of the best D lines in the conference and up there, right there in sacks. The secondary came along. Brevin Jordan had an outstanding season as a tight end. De'Aaron King steps up. I was super, super impressed with Miami, man. And for me, they were my biggest surprise and they had some opt outs in the bowl game. I don't put any stock in the bowl season this year because of how many people opted out the matchups. I thought Miami, arguably outside of Clemson and Notre Dame, had the best season in the ACC, and it shocked me because I think I picked them sixth, and they finished right up there at the top. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a surprise. So, um, who was the breakout player in the ACC? Man, I you know always got to go offensive and defensive, but I got to go. I know this could be Brian Barisi here from Clemson, but I want to go Miles Murphy from Clemson here. He played. He only played twelve games. He was a true freshman. Started six games as a true freshman at Clemson, where true freshmen don't get on the field very much unless you're Trevor Lawrence. He yeah. was. In, he was really the only true freshman to start that many games. He had fifty-one total tackles. Led the team with twelve tackles for loss, four sacks, three forced fumbles. All this man without a fall or summer camp as a true freshman. So this is while he's trying to learn the playbook. This is while he's trying to break into the starting lineup. And he dominated his in some of the games he played. His first game he played in was Wake Forest, which was like week two, I think, for Clemson. Seven tackles, three for loss, two sacks in his first ever game. And it's like, how are you – for him to pop on screen when you're surrounded by – Xavier Thomas, Brian Barisi, Trenton Simpson in the back end, James Skowski at the back end, to be surrounded by all this first potential first round ta- talent and look like the best player as a true freshman blows my mind for this kid. He was a freshman All American, ACC co newcomer of the year, and I think arguably I know Brian Barisi was the number one player coming out last year. I think Miles Murphy has the biggest upside off the edge. Edge rushers are becoming. In, uh, in uh, just you can't even put a value on them in the NFL. I mean, you look at Washington, your team, yeah. Chase Young. Y'all would trade y'all 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 wouldn't trade him for anything in the world. You can offer Mahomes. I, I'm <laughs> you might be keeping him, and then you got Montez Sweat off the edge. The D line won Washington the the, the division this year, so D line's yeah. becoming invaluable. Miles Murphy has that type of upside, so I would really watch him, and he really broke out this year. And in terms of someone who wasn't a true freshman. Those, those are I, I call them like easy breakout players because they didn't have any film. Kyron Williams for Notre Dame, the running back. I thought he, I mean, coming into the season, he had four carries, man. No touchdowns for only 26 yards. I, no one ever heard of this kid, and he exploded onto the scene. I mean, he was the leader of the offense and really was the spark they needed to get to the playoffs this year. He became a focal point of this offense, and the game against Clemson, man, ACC running back of the week, 165 yards and three touchdowns against Clemson. And 
this offense in the Ian book was the big reason why I didn't think Notre Dame could beat Clemson this year. And Kyron Williams added that extra dimension to the offense that really put them over the top because Ian book didn't have to do it all by himself anymore. I mean, as an, if you ask an average fan, can you name the last successful Notre Dame running back? They'd have problems. I promise you, I, you probably can't name him off the top <laughs> of your head. And I can't either because they really haven't had that game changing running back. And he led the ACC in attempts, which coming into the season, four rushing attempts to lean on him to have the fourth most attempts in the country, most in the conference. When you have Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, that's pretty stout to lead lead the conference in rushing attempts. And he turned that into production, fourth in the conference and ninth in the country in rushing yards with over 1,100, tenth in the country in rushing touchdowns with 13, and third in the conference in total touchdowns with 14. I think Williams is a top five running back coming into next season. He's behind Barisi Hall and all those boys, but he's still really good. I want to see how he does with a new O-line. That whole O-line for Notre Dame is gone. Ian Book's going to be headed to the NFL. He's down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, too. I think if I think if everything comes together for Williams, he's someone to watch for for the Doug Walker Award next year. Yeah. Yeah, there's nice. a, a lot of turnover at, at Notre Dame this year, and it's gonna be a. It's gonna. It, it might be a tough season if everything don't come together. They have a nice. They have. They have a lot of talent behind these starters. But you. You know. You. You know. Just because you're talented and right. you have potential does not mean you can put it up on the field. So I'm gonna need to see some stuff from from uh, Kyron Williams and Notre Dame next year. I know, right? <laughs> but um. Yeah, and I'm hoping. I don't know. I got actually a, a hometown hero. I, I got Brandon Clark from um, Melodian, Virginia. Hopefully, he'll get some some tick this year, and uh, we'll see how have, he goes. They're gonna have a huge. They're gonna have battles at every position, man. It's gonna be. You're gonna watch Notre Dame next year, and outside of maybe Kyron Williams, you're gonna be like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Him and Kyle Hamilton, really. Those would be the two guys that are gonna be, uh, you know, old faces, but. Yeah, so we're gonna see. Well, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing him. You know, it's it's been a while since we, you know, I've seen him. You know, especially um, being a prolific um, quarterback here in the state of Virginia. So it'd be good to see him. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the biggest disappointment in this conference, man, I wanted to go with Etienne here, but because he had some injuries, I felt like it was unfair to, you know. Put put him on blast for that, but I went with two teams here. I have Louisville first. I mean, we talked on the preview episode that they they were returning everything. Man, they had starting quarterback, running back, wide receiver that led the ACC in offensive production, returning multiple defensive players, returning. They won their bowl game. They were on the upswing, four and seven, and they finished twelfth in the conference. That's not acceptable for a team that had all that returning production and they played uninspiring they played inconsistent football they had no a thousand yard receiver they had no a thousand yard rusher and they returned the best two players at that position arguably in the conference and they couldn't produce they, they were giving up almost 30 points per game almost 400 yards per game on defense zero first team all acc players and even though multiple players were predicted to compete for these postseason awards Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick did make second team, but Cunningham and Hawkins at quarterback and running back didn't even get an honorable mention. That's how bad this offense was at times. 
experts predicted high flying offense, a lot of points. They can outscore everyone. That UNC is what Louisville was supposed to be. Yeah. And they did not deliver. I mean, they lost to they lost to really bad teams. They really didn't even compete with the upper level teams. And and I'd never like to see that in a second year head coach take such a large step back in regression like that. So I'd really, really want to see if maybe it was just an off year or maybe like the, you know, no preseason camp, no summer workout, something like that would contributed to it. But I would have a real tough time not picking anyone than Louisville here first. And I feel like you're going to laugh at this one, man, but I feel like you have to put Florida State as a disappointment again. Yes. I mean, I know it's tough. To, we won't address UNC game. That was their one bright spot. But, man, I don't think on top, you know, in terms of offseason drama where, you know, the coach yeah. lied about texting the players, you know, about civil issues going on in our country and just straight up lied about texting players individually being called out by your potential first-round defensive tackle, Marvin Wilson, who performed horrible this year in terms of, you know, a first-round defensive tackle. He his, has motor concerns from scouts that I've been hearing from down here in Mobile. He has a lot of, you know, durability issues. He has playmaking issues. He is on the hot seat down here in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. And, you know, he didn't perform well. The quarterback thing, man, James Blackman, if that's if that's your best you got at quarterback, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long, long season. I mean, he's finally transferred supposedly, but I don't I can't believe they did they started him as long as they did. I mean, he held that school back so bad. The only bright spot, man, Asante Samuel, and we knew he was gonna be a bright spot at DB. But one defensive back is saving saving you in the conference and you look at their season they opened out the season losing to georgia tech who experts predicted wasn't going to win a game this year they lost that game in dope campbell 16 to 13 and got smacked then they then they have an off week the second week of the season they lose 52 to 10 to miami they get smacked by notre dame they get smacked by louisville who i just mentioned had the worst you know one of the worst seasons in the acc and then pitt who didn't have an offense scored 41 on them. Right. They they went on a huge losing streak. Their wins came over Duke, who was terrible. Everyone expected them to be terrible. Jacksonville State, who they were losing to at halftime. And then they upset UNC where once UNC woke up, they they held them scoreless. It was like 31 nothing and the score being 31-28. UNC should have won that game if Sam Howell it looks off the safety by like half a more second and they score that game when a touchdown. So a Florida State horrible. Mike Norvell, I have so many questions on how he's running the program. And we've had the segment on our podcast about is there a culture issue at Florida State? And I think until they dig deep and kind of get some of those people on the inside out in terms of AD, people behind the scenes, I think it's a culture issue at Florida State. It's not a talent issue. They always got talent. It's not a recruiting issue. They're in Tallahassee, Florida, in the in just probably one of the most talent-rich states in the country. Georgia's right above them, who arguably is one of the best states in the country to recruit. And they're in the ACC. It's just one of the Power Five conferences, and they have Clemson and everyone competing. So there's no reason this team should be this bad. And I really think it's a culture issue stemming all the way back to 
when Jimbo Fisher was there. We saw what happened with Jameis Winston. And even after he left, all the players getting arrested, all the players, you know, getting in off the field trouble. And it even could stem back to Bobby Bowden, who had NCAA violations as he was out the door. So these problems are deep rooted in Florida State. And I don't think I really don't think we've seen the end of Florida State's issues. And until they get out all that old money who think they're fine and they think it's the Florida State of the 1990s, they're going to be in trouble. And so I think Florida State might be a disappointment on forward until that happens. Yeah. And that's one thing we were talking about in the preview where we looked at the whole Mike Novell situation. Like you, you can't set a president like that early in your tenure and it's already and it's it, and it's so weird like you look at the last couple of coaches they've had it feel like it's bias remorse remorse mm-hmm. essentially yeah and willie taggart might have been the worst hire of this century i mean that was yes. that was a horrible hire yes. he was a horrible and mike norvell all you had to say like let's say you did have a conversation with one or two players one word could have saved you everything. All you could have said is, I've had one-on-one conversations with some of my players. Right. That would have been fine. No one would have said anything. But the fact that you said all, knowing you didn't have time, because at that point it was the all-season, so you had all the red shirts, the gray shirts, all that 85 people you had personal conversations with in a 24-hour period. I I didn't even believe that. And I, I'm pretty, and I can be gullible when coaches talk like that. You did not contact 85 different kids and have in depth conversations about racial issues in America in 24 hours. It just what it's not happening. You don't have, it's not enough time in the day. <laughs> like, exactly. Like that, converse, that conversation is, is still going on. It, like years and years, like that is a year conversation. That's not a, tw- that's not a three minute text conversation. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was one thing where it's like, hmm, this smells a little, you know, a little, a little fishy. But I yeah, will say the least, man. Yeah, and that is a trip. But um, so what to look for in this conference um in twenty twenty one? As sad as it sounds, man, it's probably going to be Clemson Reigns again. Um, they're returning all eleven defensive starters from this year, so. Every single person you saw play on Clemson's defense this year is coming back. That 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 doesn't even seem fair, if you ask me. I mean, they, they should make somebody leave, uh, regardless of who it is. That means Tyler Davis coming back, Xavier Thomas coming back, James Skowski coming back for a sixth year, Deion Kendrick at DB. I mean, it is going to James Turner at DB. It's going to be brutal to play Clemson in. Plus, all their backups were freshmen, so all of them are coming back. So you're like 22 deep on defense yeah. coming back. Not a single player left. Offense, you you know Trevor Lawrence is gone, but we saw what DJ could do. And he play, He threw for 400 yards against the Notre Dame team who went to the playoffs. That kid can ball. No, no drop-off there. They have the number one running back in the country coming in, Will Shipley, at running back to replace Travis Etienne. That he has been dubbed his pro comparison on two four seven is Christian McCaffrey. The kid is a monster. He's a top. He's a top fifteen player in the country. The kid, he's a he's a white kid that can run like lightning. He is like Scotty Miller. It is brutal. It's going to be brutal to play Clemson. They also get Justin Ross back. He was out this year due to a spinal injury. He had his surgery. He'll be back. So they get their number one wide receiver back too. 
like you aren't going to be able to just walk over this Clemson team. Dabo Sweeney's shown it again and again. The years that he gets beat in the playoffs, they come back stronger. Clemson is going to be scary next year. I'm looking for an offensive line rebuilding Clemson. Their offensive line was horrible down the stretch, which cost them against Ohio State. Can Dabo Sweeney get in some players that can play O line? In terms of you know competition, Sam Howell, it, is he going to reach his full potential? He had a really, really slow start this year for UNC in terms like that Syracuse game was horrible. Two first half interceptions. He didn't really start clicking until late in the season. And the, the question I have about UNC is like, yes, you can explode on Miami for 62. You can beat down, you know, this or that team every other week. But can you do it for 13 straight weeks against top competition? Like, can you show? And also, I want to see them in the biggest moment. We didn't see them on the big stage this year because of, you know, the upset at Florida State. If you get under the bright lights in the ACC championship, what can you do on that stage against the Clemson defense that's going to be ready for you? And how do you replace Javante Williams and Michael Carter? I know they, I know they just got a transfer from Tennessee. The kid's name is escaping me. But UNC, you just can't replace Javante Williams with Michael Carter in a snap of a finger. So Sam Howell is going to have to carry more. And O-line problems again. I think Sam Howell's, Sam Howell's problems are tied to the offensive line issues that we saw at tackle this year. There, I forgot which game I was watching. Uh, it's like 60, number 68 or something. He just stood completely up and just the DN was killing him to his side. I'm like, as a kid who played offensive tackle in high school, I'm like, my coach would have just – Sent me to the locker room for that. That is tough to do on D1 level. And yeah. potential contenders to watch, NC State. They had a they had a breakout year this year. Eight and three this year for NC State. And they lost their starting quarterback this year, Ryan Finley, to injury. Where are they going to be? Can they take that next step forward? Pitt, can they replace Pat? Um, you know, their defensive line were Fashad Weaver and Jones. I, I don't know in that offense, Kenny Pickett's going to have to take it to another level. They need skill weapons. They fired their offensive coordinator. I think they should go after Gus Malzahn. As an Auburn fan, put him back in his comfort zone. Get get an offense up there because the ACC, you've got to have an offense to win the ACC. We've seen it year in and year out. You've got to score 30, 40 points a game to really compete in the ACC. Boston College, too. I know they had a losing record this year, but I was so impressed with Boston College. They were one score away from beating UNC. They were all they almost beat Notre Dame. They almost beat Clemson. That team was like probably four or five plays away from being in the ACC championship and not a team with a losing record. And the rebuilds to watch, man, of course, Tallahassee. What is Mike Norvell going to do in his second year? Can he get them turned around? And one to watch Atlanta, Georgia Tech. They won three games the year they were predicted to not win. I think Jameer Gibbs was the bet was arguably the best offensive freshman in the country this year in terms of a team that really didn't really compete. He reminds me so much of Trey Mason from Auburn and just the way he runs and everything. And so I think Jameer Gibbs and Georgia Tech are going to be someone to be a potential like middle of the road team where you're like, man, they're going to knock somebody off here. And you saw that when they beat Florida State. You saw them compete against those middle tier teams. Let's see if they can get to that next step. Jeff Collins is doing an outstanding job, but I think next year y'all will see Clemson in the background of this again, celebrating another ACC championship. Yeah, it's just, you know, Clemson is just <laughs> embarrassing of riches. And that's like you said. And, and, and I mean, hey, they got the facilities, they got the, you know, got everything that you would want, especially, you know, if you're a 17 to 22 year old kid, like, 
Yeah, and th they drop money. I mean, so you know, Auburn fans get so mad because they're like, "Why does Alabama out recruit us?" Auburn spent nine hundred thousand dollars on recruiting last year. Alabama spent two point four million on recruiting last year. They only spent nine hundred thousand. Yep. What? Yep. And Clemson spent two million on one recruiting weekend. Right. Just one. I'm talking about they had a dinner. They were flying kids from California. That it was like their big blowout recruiting weekend. They spent like two million on that by itself. Private jets for families, hotel rooms, stuff to do, on the field tours, everything. Like there's a whole article about it on the athletic that we talked about on the podcast. That's why they're out recruiting everybody. Georgia spent close to three mil this year on recruiting, and they just landed a five star quarterback today to go along with JT Daniels. And that's what it takes. And then you're gonna get you're gonna get that money back. Like mm -hmm. that's one thing when you look at as far as the ROI is concerned, you're gonna get an immediate impact. Yep. Because if you're gonna get these top top shelf recruits, people are gonna be willing to put. They're gonna have puts and seats. And they're gonna pack the place out. Oh yeah. Well, they were talking about to a college, like how much is a five star worth? So like the average five stars worth, like I think like nine hundred. $900,000 the average five stars worth like Trevor Lawrence's net worth is like 1.3 is about 1.3 mil is about what he was worth in terms of his like college value. And, you know, listen, if, if Auburn's, if Auburn ever listens to this show when we're on here, please mm -hmm. drop, I would drop 1.3 mil on Trevor Lawrence today, tomorrow, whatever day you asked. And right. I think, I think once that um, name image likeness goes through, man, I think you're going to see the game change a little bit. In terms yeah. of bigger programs and being able to offer the you know resources, because those recruiting weekends can now turn into autograph sessions. They can now turn into, hey, this car dealership wants you to do this radio show once a week uh, on Wednesdays. Can you come on here at six thirty and we'll give you this many hundreds of thousands of dollars? I think, I think the name, image, likeness thing is going to change the game in terms of who goes yeah. where. Especially now when you think about, and I think we talked about this in the previews, where if you're like these small towns like Clemson, South Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, Tuscaloosa, all these places, and, you know, you think about, and that's weird, like, because in these college towns, they're like big markets. They're mm -hmm. not, you know, like in most people, we think of L.A., New York, major markets, but we, it's, it's the three cities that I mentioned they're a hotbed for college football and the money's there, especially in those, in those areas. Oh yeah. And let's not forget the Texas schools with all the oil money. Do you think Texas A&M and Texas aren't going to recruit the top of the top? And I, and I do think big cities are going to be helped out. I think Georgia tech, if players can start getting sponsorships in Atlanta with all the big companies, the big boosters, like how many people own big businesses in Atlanta that went to Georgia tech to get their degree? I would right. countless how much money can be thrown at a player in the middle of Atlanta from Georgia Tech. I think a lot more money than people are thinking. And Georgia yeah. Tech has not always been the Georgia Tech that, you know, the average listener here or the Dallas College Football fan remembers. Georgia Tech was smacking people back in the day. Georgia yeah. Tech scored 70 on, I forgot who it was. It was like Michigan or some Big Ten team in the Orange Bowl a few years ago. That It was a serious program. It was yeah, they would say AC championship what many years ago or something. It might be a oh, think about it. The, the triple option was deadly, but yeah. the 
wor- the worry I have about name image likeness are the teams like Army, Army, Navy, Air Force. That's not gonna like unless you want to go into the military a hundred percent. Like that's gonna be tough to recruit anybody to those schools because right. they're not giving out autograph session sponsorships to go to army and air force. So Mm -hmm. those schools will be hurt. And also I think even small schools like, you know, Appalachian state, coastal Carolina, stuff like that schools that we Liberty that we saw this year are going to struggle. And, you know, the thing is though, is, I mean, those schools are struggling in recruiting anyway, that's all about developing players. So that's probably a mute point, but I still think that those schools are going to like that first year is going to be real tough because the players that they usually can get probably aren't answering their phone calls at that point. Yeah. Especially when there's money involved. Mm-hmm. And you look at someone like Ed Oliver going to Houston. I don't think we'll see that very much if players can be offered money at certain, because I know Houston's a big city, but I promise you tech, the Texas Longhorns can offer a lot more than Houston can. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's 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 all about these markets, and it's gonna it's gonna make the playing field extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. And, and also, oh. and, and it's funny, and 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 you know what's funny? We talk about these other places, and then you see it with like what Deion Sanders doing at Jackson State, which, like he said, once they open up, he said, "Well, I'm gonna teach you how to market yourself." So then that's another. That's another thing I'm telling you. If you want to go play college football, you gotta have to play it in the South. <laughs> like, no oh, yeah. doubt well, about it. Jackson State's gonna be a problem here. I'm just yeah. telling you right now. Deion Sanders, I, I don't know if people are watching. He landed the number one DB out of junior college who was committed to Georgia, decommitted from Georgia, and went to Jackson State. He got an Auburn defensive tackle transfer who was a top 50 recruit coming out of high school. He landed his son, who was a top 200 recruited quarterback. His other son, who was who was um, going to be a postseason All-American in the SEC at DB, transfers in. Then he lands, I think, two four-stars this year, and next year he's already on everyone's radar. Deion Sanders is going to do some work in Jackson State. And we were talking about on the podcast, if you schedule Jackson State two, three years down the line, you better not go in there thinking you're just going to give them a paycheck and they're going to let you win because they're right. they're going to put it on you if you if you don't play 100%. And that's what's going to end up happening. I'm telling you, people are going to look at them like the Appalachian State to the world, um, Georgia – was it Georgia Southern or Georgia? Yeah, that beat Florida. Yep, Georgia yeah. Southern. And then who was the other team that beat Tennessee that time? Was it Georgia? Um, it was another um, – yeah, but Georgia, that's a, yeah. I think that was Georgia State. Georgia State beat yeah. Tennessee. Georgia Southern beat Florida. Yeah, I know it was two, two Georgias or whatever. Yeah, but like you're saying, he gonna take that million dollars and he gonna beat y'all. Go, exactly. We see it every year, man. I mean, Old Dominion like was on like a thirty something game losing streak or something like that, and beat yeah, Virginia beat, Tech beat, at Blacksburg. Yes. Uh, it, hey, Appalachian State changed the whole game in terms of Appalachian State and Boise State really laid the path to non-power five programs yeah. beating people. And you, now you got North Dakota State at D two, unstoppable at times. Now you got Jackson State. I mean, there's going to be some teams here that I think the Bama's, the Auburn's, the Florida's, then everything they're not going to want to schedule those teams. No. And I'm telling you, Ole Miss and Mississippi State better watch out. Because some of those Mississippi recruits that they're used to just, you know, being like, hey, this is your hometown school. Come here. Y'all are going to have to fight Jackson State for some of these recruits, and it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, he, he snatched those kids out of um, <laughs> kids right out of their hand. You know, Oxford and and uh, and Stock Vegas, y'all better be y'all better be on alert. His social media is undefeated too. His social yeah. media presence is. I don't think there's a head coach in the country that can match Deion Sanders' social media thing. I follow him on everything, and his videos crack me up. And I, I, I mean, when he was laying out the uniforms the other day, showing up, like he, I know what he was doing, but people just think he's, you know, doing it for no reason. Like I know the look good, play good is like his slogan. He used to lay out his uniforms on the ground. He did that on social media for a reason to show these recruits that hey, we got new uniforms, we got all these things, we let the players vote on it. Like, oh, look at what we're getting. We're getting new facilities. Like, the dude is a genius in terms of social media marketing, and I don't think he's getting enough credit for what he's doing. Yes. He ain't got to go to your house no more. He going <laughs> to get you. He ain't got to go to your house and convince your parents at this point. Well, well, how do you go into a house, like if you're old Miss, and we saw what happened with Hugh Freeze in terms of the incident of violations. Everyone, like, I mean, I don't, like, Everyone knows the history of Ole Miss and what the mascot was and what's happened on that campus. And we've seen when players transfer, what the fans actually think about those players. And then you got an HBCU school in Jackson state with Deion Sanders coming in, telling your son that like, listen, man, I've done this. And like, you know, he's done it. This dude is arguably the best DB of all time in the history of football. And you got Lane Kiffin coming in there with this slick back hair, Promise, promising you the world. I mean, there's no way Lane Kiffin wins that battle. Ole Miss wins that battle. I mean, if I if I was a recruit in Mississippi, there's no question I would be listening to Deion Sanders, especially if I was a DB. Yeah. I mean, you you can't you can't look if Deion Sanders looks you in the eye and says, "Listen, I know how to make this DB thing work." You're like, "Yeah, you probably do." Probably more so. I, I can't even name Georgia's DB coach, but I promise you, he isn't Deion Sanders. Right, like he has a blueprint. If I, he's gonna tell me what I need to do if I want to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Like, but and, yeah, man, yeah. And he's and now he has a job. I know he has a podcast with Barstool called Twenty First and Prom. Yeah, and all that. And, and listen, Barstool versus Dennis Ablay has been a thing. They don't care for instant ablay rules yeah. or anything. But once you can do that name image likeness, if you already have someone hooked up with Barstool who can hook you up with podcasts, hook you up with sponsors, you could be on every show on that network. Because, I mean, say what you want about Barstool politics. That's not what we're here to discuss. Right. That that business has a lot of money, has a lot of marketability. Deion right. Sanders can offer you that now. I mean, he has his own – like Deion Sanders is a coach in college football and hosts a college football preview show on Barstool. That doesn't even make sense. He's over there previewing all the games on TV or on social media or whatever, and then he goes and coaches. It doesn't make any sense, and I think that's just another added layer that people aren't looking at. Yeah, absolutely. So let's put a bow on this Power 5 recap. Um, so we got another one. We got a the Big Ten on Saturday, 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 3 Central. Um, well, we'll recap the uh, Big Ten on Saturday. So, Zach, where can they find you on uh, social media? Yeah, uh, you can find the Blue Bloods on Instagram at the underscore Blue Bloods, Twitter at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods, Facebook at the Blue Bloods pod. You can look at us up on YouTube, the Blue Bloods or the Blue Bloods CFB podcast. Podcast is available everywhere, guys. Just type in the Blue Bloods wherever you listen. Like, rate, subscribe. We appreciate it, man. Just put us on your queue with Couch Coach and 
we're going to do a lot more stuff in the future, guys. So you can definitely keep up with both of us here. Yes, indeed. And definitely once again, appreciate you for coming through, Zach. And sure. we'll see you on Saturday where we preview the Big Ten. So for this recap, we'll catch you guys in the next go round.